Happy Sabbath, church family. How are you? Good. This song is for the honor and the glory of our God. Because he lives. And his son, they call him Jesus. He came to love, heal, and forgive. He lived and died to buy my pardon. An empty grave is there to prove. My Savior lives because He lives. I can face tomorrow because He lives. All fear is gone because I know He holds the future. This world the living just because he lives and then one day I'll cross the river I'll fight life pain and then that gives way to victory I see the lights of glory and I know he lives because he lives I can face tomorrow because he lives all fear is gone because I know he holds the future and life is worth the living just because he lives because he
It is truly because he lives, isn't it, that we have hope, that we have life. Yeah. Um, this morning, I invite you to turn to our scripture reading, Matthew twenty-five, thirteen. Just to comment, you know, that scripture readings are generally two or three verses, sometimes 20 verses. But when it's only one verse... I think that means the message is very concentrated, very focused, so don't miss it. Matthew 25, 13. Be on the alert then, for you do not know the day nor the hour. Good morning, church. Before I get started, I would like to thank my fellow brethren who have helped me this morning. Without Steve, without Rick, without the lovely family who did a song service, and without Gio and Alex, I probably won't know what we would have done this morning. Because most of my other folk who should have been taking part are not here today, and that's good. I hope they're having a lovely time. Um, I want to thank Rick for stepping into doing the story for me. And like I said to all of my other brethren who are here, I want to welcome you all, and uh, it's nice to see you here. You know, a lot of times, and I don't know if you would agree with me, but there are some times when I come to church, and maybe I shouldn't say this, but I hope you won't hold it against me. I don't want to hear a sermon. I'm sorry. (laughs) Sometimes I come to church, and I just want to hear you know, something lighthearted, and that's what you're going to hear this morning from me. I'm not going to preach a sermon to you. I'm just going to tell you some stories, which include life's experiences. We all have them. We all need to move forward with the Lord, with all of these life experiences that we encounter in life. So that's what you're going to hear from me this morning. You're going to bow your head with me for a few moments. Heavenly Father, we so truly thank you for your love. We thank you, Lord, that you stick with us even when we behave badly, even when we don't do the right and end up doing the wrong. You are still with us. We can always come to you and ask you for mercy and then continue with our lives loving you, walking with you, being courteous to each other, and being willing to lead others to Christ so that we can go home with you when you come. The ways of the Lord are right. The righteous walk in them, but the rebellious stumble in them. And that's found in Hosea chapter 14 and verse 9. John Smith was pulled over for driving erratically, but just as officers began administering a breathalyzer test, There was an accident on the other side of the freeway. The policeman ordered John to wait and ran across the street, but John immediately drove home. A few hours later, Mrs. Smith found two officers at her door. John came out of the bedroom faking a cough. When asked if he'd been pulled over for a highway citation, He replied, oh, no, I've been homesick all day. When the officers asked to see his car, 
John confidently walked out to the garage thinking, it's been hours, the engine is cool, and I'm totally going to get away with it. He threw open the garage door, and there in the garage was the patrol car with the lights still flashing. (laughs) Tell me, friend, what lights are flashing in your garage? We are not creatures of circumstance, but creators of circumstance. And let us keep in mind as we go through this week that lights are flashing in all of our garages. Are there the correct lights that are flashing, or are we faking something? You know, I know a lot of people in this world, and I know that you all do too. I have traveled a lot. And I have met a lot. I've met kind people, nice people, lovely people. And um, but once in a while, one of the lovely persons that we may have met or will meet kind of is nice and kind. But once in a while, they get really angry, and we don't understand why. But here is Cliff, and the verse I'm dealing with right now is in your anger. Do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. And that's found in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26 to 27. Cliff was a kind and mild-mannered man with one faithful, until one faithful summer day. He set the controls of his year-old lawnmower on start and pulled the cord. Nothing happened. He pulled several more times, still nothing. Finally, after countless attempts, the mower rode to life. Frustrated but relieved, Cliff adjusted the throttle and prepared to cut. But before he could take a step, The moor died again. After several more futile attempts, Cliff straightened up, turned, and walked into the house. Moments later, Cliff calmly returned to the moor, slid several shells into his rifle, took aim, and proceeded to riddle the machine with bullets. His wife, who had witnessed the entire affair from the kitchen window, stood amazed and frightened at the rage lurking beneath Cliff's quiet, confident exterior. Are any of us like Cliff? Perhaps you can relate to Cliff's anger, but I hope you don't relate to how he dealt with it. It's okay to have anger and even express it. It's the how and the when we have to work on. You know, why do we go to church? This is slightly different from what I just did. If you're spiritually alive, you're going to love this. If you're spiritually dead, you won't want to read it. If you're spiritually curious, there is still hope. 
A churchgoer wrote a letter to the editor of a newspaper and complained that it made no sense to go to church every Sabbath. I've gone for 30 years now, he wrote, and in that time I have heard something like 3,000 sermons. But for the life of me, I can't remember a single one of them. Are we like that? So I think I'm wasting my time, and the pastors are wasting theirs by doing or giving sermons at all. This started a real controversy in the letters to the editor column. Much to the delight of the editor, it went on for weeks until someone wrote this clincher. I've been married for 30 years now. In that time, my wife has cooked some 32,000 meals. But for the life of me, I cannot recall the entire menu for a single one of those meals. But I, knew the, I do know this. They all nourished me and gave me the strength I needed to do my work. If my wife had not given me these meals, I would be physically dead today. Likewise, if I had not gone to church for nourishment, I would be spiritually dead today as well. When you are down to nothing, God is up to something. Faith sees the invisible, believes the incredible, and receives the impossible. Thank God for your physical and or spiritual nourishment. When Satan is knocking at your door, simply say, Jesus, could you get that for me? And as we go through life, you know, we complain a lot. We tend to, we're human beings, and we tend to complain. We tend to mumble and grumble about a lot of things in life. And sometimes I guess I do that too, but I try not to. And... Um, there are things in life that we need to come to terms with. And um, here is one of them, I think. The most hopeless job there is. Who knows what that job is? I don't know either, but I'll read it to you. You can see that I am trying to please you. This is the verse, Galatians 1.10. You can see that I am, I am not trying to please you by sweet talk and flattery. No, I am trying to please God. If I was still trying to please men, I could not be Christ's servant. I think we all need to remember that, that if we grumble and get upset all the time, we're not portraying the God that we claim to worship. An ancient Persian humorist named Mullah and his son were walking along a country road one evening behind the family donkey. The donkey, being in no hurry, was contentedly nibbling grass along the way. Two men passed by them. Seeing Mullah and his son walking along, sweating profusely, one of them remarked to the other, look how foolish they are, walking 
instead of riding. Hearing the remark, Mullah and his son climbed on the donkey and rode through the next village. As they passed through the marketplace, they heard an old man exclaim, Look at those men on the donkey. They ought to be ashamed of themselves, making that poor old donkey carry the two of them. Hearing the remark, Mullah got off of the donkey and walked while his son rode the donkey to the next village. There Mullah heard someone whisper to another, Poor old man, that boy should be ashamed, making his poor old dad walk. Mullah was ashamed as he thought of it, so he asked his son to get off of the donkey and let him ride. The son walked beside him for some distance till they came to another village. There a villager made this observation. Look at that old man riding while his son has to walk. How cruel. Mullah rubbed his beard, shook his head, and said to himself, You can't please all of the people all of the time. And I'm sure, we'd heard, sure we've heard that before. To never offend anyone is the most hopeless job there is. As you grow up, and I'm talking to our young people now, and us older folk, as you grow up, you're bound to offend many people. And from time to time, many people will differ with you. But just because someone disagrees with you does not mean you are wrong or dumb. Jesus, the only perfect person who ever lived, displeased many people. But does that mean he was unlikable or wrong? Of course not. If someone disagrees with you, be agreeable about your differences. Allow others their opinion and ask them to allow you the same. Consider their opinion, for it may have some value. But if it disagrees with your long-range goal of getting out of this world, drop it. For getting out of this world to live with Jesus is the most important decision you can make. Don't let anybody change your mind. On that. You know, my next verse is Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. And we, um, Steve just read that for me. During a discussion period after a week of prayer meeting, some young people were discussing the text, You are the salt of the earth. Different students had different ideas for the symbolic meaning of the verse, including salt gives something a better flavor. Salt preserves things, and so forth. Then a Chinese girl raised her hand. When she was called upon to give her explanation, she said simply, salt creates thirst. A sudden hush filled the room. Everyone was thinking, have I ever made someone thirsty for Jesus? Have we? 
Does knowing how much Jesus loves you make a difference in your life? Imagine how it would be if you had no hope of a brighter future, no hope of getting another chance at another life someday. If someone came along who was bursting with happiness because he or she had the conviction that there was going to be a second chance of life someday in heaven, wouldn't that make you happy to know more? When Benjamin Franklin wished to interest the people of Philadelphia in street lighting, he didn't try to persuade them by talking about it. Instead, he hung a beautiful lantern on a long bracket before his own door. Then he kept the glass brightly polished and carefully and faithfully lit the wick every evening at the approach of dust. You know, this next reading that I have. I got to have a little sip. And I know, and I, I feel, and, and I don't know what it is, but I, I have a lot of feelings for people. And they're usually good feelings. Especially when I see someone who maybe is downtrodden, poor, not able to do things for themselves. I feel very badly about that. So I had to bring this little story to you. And I hope it doesn't upset you. A little old couple walked into McDonald's one cold winter night. They looked out of place as there were a lot of young couples and families eating there that night. Some of the customers looked at them admiringly, and you could tell what they were thinking. Look, there is a couple who has been through a lot together, probably 60 or more years. The little old man walked up to the cash register, placed his order for one hamburger. One order of french fries and one drink. The little old man unwrapped the plain hamburger and carefully cut it in half. He placed one half in front of his wife. Then he counted the french fries, dividing them into two piles, and neatly placed one pile in front of his wife. He took a sip of the drink. His wife took a sip and then set the cup down between them. As the man began to eat his few bites of hamburger, the crowd began to get restless. Again, you could tell what they were thinking. That poor old couple. All they can afford is one meal for the two of them. As the man began to eat his french fries, one young man came over to the, odd, to the old couple, couple's table. He politely offered to buy another meal for the old couple to eat. The old man replied that they were just fine. They were used to sharing everything. Do we share everything? Not just with our families, but with the world. Do we tell them about Christ and his coming. This time, the lady explained 
that know they were used to sharing everything together. As the little old man finished eating and was wiping his face neatly with the napkin, the young man could stand it no longer. Again, he came over to their table and offered to buy some food. After being politely refused again, he finally asked a question of the little old lady. Ma'am, why aren't you eating? You You said that you share everything. What is it that you are waiting for? She answered, the teeth. Now that makes me really sad. I don't know if this has really happened. But if an elderly couple or anybody sharing dentures, you know, in order to eat, that is beyond sad, I think. You know, I like this little story here because we teach our kids a lot about the Bible and about Christ and his coming and and what's going to happen to us. And this little guy... On the way home from church, a little boy asked his mother, Is it true, Mommy, that we are made of dust? Yes, darling. And do we go back to dust again when we die? Yes, dear. Why do you ask? Well, Mommy, when I said my prayers last night and looked under the bed, I found someone who is either coming or going. Oh, we're getting to be out of time. Just a couple more. I've got the joy, joy, joy down in my heart. When I was a little girl, my grandpa taught me a very important lesson. We were seated at the kitchen table when Papa asked me a question. What is happiness, Renee? What would we all say is happiness? Do we know? Are we happy sometimes, sad sometimes? But what really is happiness? I thought for a few seconds and then answered, it's a good feeling a person gets. Papa smiled. That's exactly right, he said. All are looking for happiness, but not many will ever find it. Do you know why? I shook my head no. Well, that's because they don't know how to spell happiness. Right then, I decided that my grandpa wasn't very smart. I was only in the third grade, and I could spell happiness. Papa, almost anybody can spell happiness. Not really, he said. Many people think they know how to spell it, but they don't. For instance, some spell it money, M-O-N-E-Y. Others spell it power, P-O-W-E-R. But there is only one way to spell happiness. He drew three letters on a piece of paper, J-O-Y. That's how you spell happiness, he said. What's the first letter, Renee? J. That's right. And the J stands for Jesus. He deserves first place in our lives. Next comes the O, which stands for others. At the end comes Y, 
which stands for you. So there's Jesus, others, and yourself. When we put Jesus first in our lives, other people second, and ourselves last, we'll have the happiness that we are looking for. When Jesus becomes Lord of our lives, he helps us feel good about ourselves. And only when we feel good about ourselves can we care about others. Putting ourselves last, ourselves last doesn't mean that other people are more important than we are. It just means that instead of focusing on ourselves, we'll be looking for ways to show kindness to the people around us. If you find yourself missing out on happiness, check to see how you're spelling it. You know, I have more of these, but I think we're getting to be out of time, so I'm going to wrap this up in a little bit. So what I want us to focus on today, like I said, I didn't want to bring you a sermon, and I'll do that next time. I just wanted to remind us, the end of the year is getting close. We're going to embark on a new year. And I just want us to know that Jesus is the most important person in our lives, but others are too. And we must learn to treat each other the way we would like to be treated. So let us keep in mind that we can do things, we can say things, but we must always keep Jesus in the forefront of our lives and others next. One last little um, issue here. And this is taken from Mark chapter 15, verse 39. When the Roman officer standing beside his cross saw how he dismissed his spirit, he exclaimed, Truly, this was the Son of God. The story is told of a poor man who had many troubles. So he went to the home of a wise man in town who gave him good advice. Please help me, the poor man pleaded. My house is too small. My wife and I and our six children do not have enough room. We bump into each other and have no privacy. And the house is so hard to keep clean. What shall we do? The wise man thought for a moment. How many animals do you have in your barn? He asked, scratching his head. One cow, one horse, two pigs, and three chickens. The poor man was surprised. And two, oh, very well. Bring all the animals into the house with you. The poor man was surprised, but he went home and did as he was told. The next day he returned. That will not work, he cried. The animals have turned the house into a barn. They've eaten all our food, and we have had to eat standing up. They are also into everything. My wife can't do her work with them in the way. Very well. Then take the animals back to the barn, the wise man told him. The poor man went home and put the animals back in the barn. 
The next day, he returned once again, smiling, lots. With the animals gone, it is so peaceful and so much easier to keep the place clean, he said. Thank you for all your help. I wish I were as wise and as clever as you are. And the wise man only nodded sagely. A foolish story, you say? Perhaps. But how often do we complain about what we have? And only when it is gone do we appreciate it. While Jesus was dying on the cross, a Roman soldier murmured, Surely this was the Son of God. But it was too late to undo Jesus' pain or take it away. Look around you at all you have, your family, your religious freedom, food, friends. Cherish each one as though it was about to be taken from you. Would you spend your last day on earth praying? Would you waste energy being mad at someone? Would you cheat on a test or use dirty words? Treat others today. As if you were, as if it was your last day on earth. As if it was their last day on earth. Show appreciation to someone right now, today, tomorrow. More importantly, make a choice to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. You know, I... Surely appreciate all of us, all of you. I'm glad you're here today. I have more of these, but we're going to stop right here.